Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Oh, uh, well, guys, um, 45 to 6, Northwestern wins. Yay! Yay! Uh, I mean, look, this game is what it is. I mean, UMass is terrible. I mean, they're just a god awful team. And we went and struggled to throw the ball and ended up just running because that's what we do. Um, and yeah, I mean, like, there's really not a lot to take away from this game, especially, you know, looking back at the entire season and then looking ahead to these last two games. Hopefully the final two games, uh, hopefully this weekend will be the final home game of the Mick McCall era. Um, but yeah, it's not, not a ton of takeaways here. It's, it's worth mentioning. I, I tweeted before the game that, um, we were, we were really confident that the cats were going to win this game, but that the experience would likely be hazardous to all of our health. Yeah, that um, checked out. And that was super accurate because the first half was a absolute tire fire. And, um, I mean, the first, cats first ended up quarter, running away. Especially. I mean, yeah. The first quarter. Was awful. It was hot garbage. Um, the fourth quarter was the complete opposite. And I think, you know, the UMass clearly really ran out of gas and the cats, um, just ended up being able to run away with it, which, you know, that, that's the reason, a lot of the reason we thought Northwestern would, would win this game. John, kudos to you. Cause you, you kind of outlined like, look, our offensive line is going to be able to destroy this team. And that's exactly what happened. Um, once you got into the later stages of the game. Yeah. We thought that, you know, Drake Anderson was going to be the guy in this game. He fumbled early on. And again, depending on, how you want to read it. You can read it as Drake Anderson fumbled once and then wasn't put back in because of ball security. If that's the way you want to read it, fine. But in just, I find it hard to believe he wasn't hurt. I have no way of knowing. None of us have any way of knowing because we were Northwestern fans and that's the way it works. But regardless, he didn't play for the rest of the game. And Evan Hall had the day that we thought Drake Anderson was going to have. And again, Hall had a great game. Um, he, you know, ran away from a couple of guys, obviously put up the monster stat line. I give the kudos to the offensive line. I mean, not to take anything away from Hull. Right now, Hull is, you know, depending on what Anderson's status is, the only every down tight back who appears to be healthy for Northwestern right now. And given that he's going to be, as we tweeted out unbelievably to us, available for only one of the next two games because the coaching staff lost track of how many games he'd played this season. Um, he's most likely only going to be available for one of the final two uh, if he's going to keep his red shirt. Um, we're going to absolutely need him. And, you know, it was great to see, but I give kudos first and foremost to the offensive line. Cause like you said, they ultimately, this game was a real mess early on, but Ultimately, the offensive line just leaned on these guys until they fell over and Hall was able to have a major day. Yeah, so I, I wanted to try and put a little context around Hall's day because, um, A, it was easily the best rushing performance we've seen this year out of Northwestern. Yeah, I mean, um, tw 24 for 220, four touchdowns. I mean, he he looked great. Hua ripped off a 48-yarder and a 31-yarder, that or a 46-yarder and a 31-yarder. That's that's better than uh, than anyone else has done as well. 
With, and, with the exception of McGowan's 79-yarder, but, you know. Oh, yeah, the, I, I totally forgot about that. Um, yep, yep, you're correct. Almost better than anyone else's. He's got the second and third largest plays on the team, right, all year for the offense? Yep. Um, but, you know, we also know that UMass is a just historically terrible defense, the worst, probably the worst defense in, in FBS um, right now. So I wanted to put this in context a little bit, and so I went back and I looked at at UMass's other opponents, and just to try to understand what running backs had done against them. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. So, so Evan Hall clocked in at a 9.2 yards per attempt clip in this game. If I adjust out, if I take out his longest run, that goes down to 7.5. That's effectively third amongst all of the, uh, the, the teams that have played against UMass this year. Um, Louisiana Tech, which, by the way, if you're not uh, a junkie <laughs> and have a sickness like we do, Louisiana Tech has an amazing offense this year. It's incredible. Uh, they they averaged 12.7 yards per carry against UMass. Um, that was across three different players. So, so interestingly, uh, Hull far and away had the lion's share of the carries for Northwestern. Um, with, with one exception, pretty much every other team that has played them um, – had had multiple guys with double digit carries, so I, I I kind of I kind of arbitrarily drew drew, drew cutoffs here, but um, so Louisiana Tech spectacular. UConn is the second best with a with a nine point three yards per uh, per attempt clipped. UConn's not a very good team, but here's the interesting thing about Hull's performance is that only Northwestern only attempted thirteen passes on Saturday. That's a tiny number of passes that that basically means especially once we got into like the meat of the second half when Hull started ripping off his his, some of his big runs UMass pretty much knew on every single play who was going to get the ball and if I'm a UMass linebacker I'm a lot worried about the ball being in Evan Hull's hands than I am it being in Aiden Smith's hands and so when you look at Louisiana Tech they ran the ball as a team they ran the ball 38 times and passed 35 times extremely balanced offense Northwestern ran the ball 52 times and passed only 13. The only there are two other teams that that came like close to that to that differential. One is Army, who had only 16 passes. They only averaged 7.7 on the ground Wait, against we, UMass. We threw less than Army did. No, 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 they only had, they had six team passes. Oh, I, six team probably, passes. Okay, sorry. Yeah, probably sounded like 16, didn't it? That, that's that's um, what I heard. Yes, just six. Army just threw the ball six times. Um, average seven point seven on the ground. They also had an eighty three yarder. So when you when you look at that kind of like minus the longest run um, adjusted number, Evan Hall was quite better than Army against UMass. Um, the the other team was Charlotte. Charlotte ran the ball sixteen times and and or I'm sorry, threw the ball sixteen times, ran the ball forty times. They averaged eight point two. It dropped down to six point three after you take out their longest run. So Hull's numbers really hold up as one of the high marks against UMass all year. I get, you know, I, I, to your points earlier, I think that can that can be chalked up to the offensive line. But you know, one thing I did see, well, two other two other quick things. So one is that um, I took a, a a Football Outsiders kind of view at Hull's carries. So Football Outsiders has a statistic called uh, DVOA. Essentially, they are looking for um, you know, did a team get half or more of the yards required on first down or second down um, in order to to get a new set of downs? Um, or did they convert on, on third or fourth down? 
Hull, basically half of the times that he carried the ball, got half the yardage or greater that was necessary um, and, and fit those criteria. That's that's pretty darn good. Now, a lot of those times that he didn't get it, it was like one yard, minus one yard. Pretty, I don't know, understandable when, when, you're, when you're running the ball 52 times and only passing it 13 times that a defense is going to sniff it out sometimes. Um, but the other thing worth mentioning is I, you know, this is the first time we've seen him in extended action. Um, although surprisingly it's the fourth time, the fourth game that he's played. So we will effectively burn his red shirt, uh, if we play him in either of the next two games, but no, I, I think this was the third game. Like he played in one, he like got into one game for like a play or two. Cause the coaches forgot. And this was number three. I think he can play in one of the last two. No, inside inside in you uh recapped like after like in their write in their write up um a couple days after the game. That was that was some of the, the discussion during the game, but in their write up there after they, they had him listed in three prior games to or to this one. Um, oh wow. And maybe that's wrong, but uh their their kind of couple days after the fact analysis was that he's burned if he if he plays again. Um and whether that's a problem or not, like whatever. But the, the the other observation I had is that I thought um, I thought Hull was much more in the vein of a Justin Jackson or an Isaiah Bowser in terms of his straight ahead running style, his ability to to get through some contact. Um, he was he, you know he had some some shiftiness out there. He's he's not a speed demon. You know you you saw him get tracked down by the secondary a couple different times. Um, so I you know for, for what that's worth, we've been talking a lot this season about. You know, the running style that Northwestern has played previously, why a player like, you know, why we thought a player like Drake Anderson might have more opportunity this year. We know the holes from the offensive line have been good, but we also know that without any, you know, any sort of even intermediate passing attack, that um, linebackers and safeties are just meeting our running backs in those holes and, uh, you know, having having a guy that could get through a little bit of contact and get some additional yards after after first touch was was pretty critical and i i i think we saw some of those things on display now i'm not holding out hope that he's going to rush for for 100 against you know minnesota or illinois but i think you know there's 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 a little spark of uh of goodness here in terms of just the 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 context when you stack up his day against uh, other teams that have played umass this year I just want to I just want to salute you for a Herculean effort to pull positives out of this situation. <laughs> oh, um, oh, well, hold on. I got one more. I got one more. So the one other like common common opponent uh, that played UMass is Rutgers, and uh, their running back Pacheco uh, carried the ball uh, twenty times against UMass, averaged seven point eight per carry. But here's the interesting thing. Then when you look at his numbers against other teams, 3.1 against Ohio State, 4.1 against Maryland, 4 yards per carry against Iowa, 3.3 against Minnesota. I mean, that holds up for the most part as, as okay. Um, a heck of a lot better than we did against Ohio State, that's for sure, and Iowa. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something here. If, if, Hull, if Hull can average you know 4 yards a carry against Minnesota, I'd take that. I, I oh, just want to sure. say, I just want to say, if Evan Hall rushes for 20 yards against Minnesota... I don't want to hear any of you giving Scuzz crap for trying to build Evan Hull up. We are trying here, people. Okay, we're trying to find things. Boys They're, from Maple uh, Grove. He's he's going to look at those those <laughs> gopher those gopher adorned helmets. That's gonna oh, that's just going to be like fuel for the fire, man. He's. I mean, again, it's like I. There. I mean, you take 
the Minnesota, I mean, you take the UMass game out, I think his numbers are eight carries for 15 yards on the season. Now, a lot of that was piecemeal. It's hard to read much of that out of those carries either. Um, it's, it's important. I mean, I'm doing the spoon, I'm spoon doing the spoon feeding, feeding thing right now, John. You got to give the boy, the boy, the rock. Hey, I, I mean, he's, I mean, again, it's hard to know, but I, you know, Drake is not an every down back against Minnesota. So if Hall is, is ready and Fitz is, has shown before that he subscribes to this idea of, you know, give a guy carries against his hometown school. I mean, that's great. Um, you know, it's for me personally, it's hard to evaluate something like this when, you know, uh, you know, off the air, I've taken no share, no fair amount of grief um, for being pretty pessimistic on Evan Hall. Again, part of that, and I'll cop to it, is that Evan Hall is the scholarship that was supposed to be Jarrell Brock, and it's just tough. And But now we're in a situation where he's one of the only guys who's healthy, and he had a great game against UMass. You can't take that away from him. And he does. He has that upright motoring style, but he is built like an every down back. And again, we are so beat up at that position right now that we're absolutely going to need those carries. Um, one thing that well, I did want to actually but before before you go on, I mean, I was I was impressed by Raymond Nero. I mean, yeah, it was like absolute garbage time at, at the end of the game. But, you know, he went in seven carries, 45 yards, 6.4 per carry. I mean, he didn't look shabby either. I mean, I'll I'll flip that right on its head. If I think if Nairo plays half of the game, his numbers are significantly higher. Again, it's like this was a no, it horrific. Was, it was garbage time. It absolutely was garbage time. But like, he showed something. He was. I mean, it was. It was sure. I mean, it's like this to me. It just about all of it goes out the window when the Gophers, who to their credit, are playing way better defense than I thought they were going to play this year. Um, come to come to town. Um, I, I, you know, John. I, I John. I say this only to just thoroughly get your goat. <laughs> um, Evan Hall has. Uh, Evan Hall has outrushed uh, Jarrell Brock this year by, by quite a margin. <laughs> Brock has uh, nine attempts for 48 yards for an average of 5.3, most of those which came against uh, University of Louisiana Monroe. Hey, I, I let me put me right at the front of the line. If Evan Hall outperforms Jarrell Brock in his college career, I will be more than happy to be the dumbest man on the face of the planet. Great. I, I want it. Good. Let everything that Scuzz said come to fruition. Let Evan Hall, let's, you know, let him sit against Minnesota and let him come out against Illinois and rush for 150 yards. And we're like, oh, wow, how about Evan Hall? Great. I want to see that. Um, I, I will say, as long as we're talking about running backs, though, I wanted to talk about something just because it just fits us on this role where, like, once a press conference the past couple of weeks, he'll see something that just cheeses me off to no business. Like, this week, it was the comment where, what did he basically say? He said, um, in the preseason, we sat here and everyone told me who my starting quarterback was. And I told everyone there was a battle. Obviously, I ended up being right. Man, if that is how you're carrying yourself when we are like two and eight, man, you are just disconnected fits. I mean, we love you, but what are you doing? And what it started me thinking about is um, the fact that as, you know, you guys listen to this pod, we've talked about this ad nauseum. This is not a quarterback-friendly offense. 
it is a really problematic offense that is just a mess in general. But his comment in, in particular got me thinking about the last time that there was an open quarterback battle and how that went down. And if we rewind to 2015, you had Clayton Thorson as the presumed starter. And I think most people thought that it was Clayton Thorson as the presumed starter with Matt Alvidi as the backup and Zach Oliver as the third string. But we went into the summer, deep into the summer, without a starter named. And Fitz was saying nothing and people were really trying to figure it out. And it was just like this year where everyone's like, well, I think it's Thorson, but it could be Alvidi. And then a week before, I mean, again, it's funny, you juxtapose that with this year, it seems early, but it's not early. A week before the start of the season is only early for Pat Fitzgerald, okay? Um, Thorson was announced as the starter, and as the rest of the season played out, we saw that Alvidi wasn't even the backup. He was the third string quarterback. And where I'm kind of going with this is, if you look at 2015, Fitz can sit back now, and paint it as if this season, now that things have fallen into shambles and we have this totally unsettled quarterback position, that this is just proof that he was right all summer. When really what's going on is we are just failing to dodge a bunch of bullets that we dodged back in 2015 because Clayton Thorson's numbers were pretty bad his freshman year. Um, and not only were they pretty bad, in some cases, they were downright awful. If you take the Duke game, and then you add Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Tennessee, which were the last four games of that season, he completed 44% of his passes for 81 yards a game, one touchdown, and six interceptions. 44% of his passes. You know how bad that is? Hunter Johnson and Aiden Smith are both completing more than 44% of their passes right now. And they're both throwing for more than 81 yards a game. Um, so pretty bad is my point. Well, well, um, well, and you remember our commentary that year. We were we were dying that that the offense wasn't utilizing Thorson more because we we knew he had an arm. He right. demonstrated and, against against Stanford, and then like he, I mean, he also demonstrated a propensity to throw the ball. As hard as humanly possible. I remember the first throw he made; it, it ricocheted off of a linebacker's helmet. Um, but and and but what was what was so true was the lack of trust that they had in him. They just they wouldn't let him do anything, and that that was one of the things we caught thought coming into this season. Given that you know Hunter was not a true freshman, given that Aiden had been with the program for a couple years, that that wasn't going to be a problem in the Northwestern. That was one of our our chief tenants that we talked about in the two weeks leading up to week one, and it's been a catastrophic problem all year. Right, and and I think the given that, and given what you're saying about the, the frustrations that we had back when Clayton, you know, give this guy more freedom, and even as he progressed, we were still saying, give him more freedom to do things, and that didn't really come until, like, later on in his career. But what he was at least given, even with that lack of confidence, was... Basically a full season to play, and he was never really pulled. I mean, he was benched for Zach Oliver in the Outback Bowl, but that game was all pretty, pretty much decided, and that was just kind of like a white flag by, on our part. Um, and But then you go and you say, all right, so given how much faith they had in the ability to call plays for him as a freshman, 
what possible reason would there be, given this season, to think that if we had not been, A, lucky, and B, in possession of Justin Jackson, that this all wouldn't have just recreated itself in 2015? We went 10-3 and that year, and we won about eight games by the skin of our teeth that year. And for the record, Justin Jackson rushed for over 100 yards, and in some cases, well over 100, in eight games that season. In the games where he didn't rush over 100 yards, Clayton Thorson didn't complete 50% of his passes. He threw for less than 125 yards a game, uh, and he threw three touchdowns and four interceptions. And that's over five games. So basically, like, less than a touchdown a game and 120 yards a game. Um, and my point is that that Thorson was not... My point is not that Thorson was not good. Thorson was a true freshman in this offense that we all know does quarterbacks no favors, especially if it's their first year in that system. Um, but we had Justin Jackson, and he papered over so many problems in that situation. Um, that things survived. And despite the fact that the coaching staff didn't let Thorson do stuff, um, he was able to stay in a lot of these games because we were winning. And then he never got pulled, and he came in, and we had no doubts he was going to start his sophomore year, and his numbers improved beyond his freshman year. But you can totally see how, had we lost a couple of these games, for example, Justin Jackson gets hurt sometime early in the season. He's not around for four or five games. Thorson is putting up these awful performances, but we're taking loss after loss after loss. They're going to play Alvidi, they're going to play more Oliver, and we'd be in the exact same situation. So it's like, I don't want to hear you, Fitz. I don't want to hear you talking about how right you are. Um, you, This offense has just shown that without a running back, and this goes to, to you know why we're looking so hard to try to find this back, um, without a great running back, it doesn't work. And with a great running back, it still doesn't necessarily work, but it might work well enough for you to just slide by. Um, we dodged all those bullets in 2015. We haven't dodged a single one this year. And, and you know, you look last year too. Again, you know, we won a lot of those close games, um, and that only started happening when, with the emergence of Bowser, Larkin goes down, and then we're just like, you know, sh- completely uh, shooting in the wind. And then Bowser comes in and everything kind of solidifies. And, you know, we were able to ride Bowser all the way to the Big Ten championship game. Um, do want, before we close the door on UMass and, and move ahead to, uh, to this Minnesota game, we did get a question, um, from one of our listeners about the, uh, the quote onside kick, uh, late in the game on whether, uh, obviously that was not a called onside kick. Right. I mean, Fitz would never do that at that point in the game with the score the way it was. You know, I, I think, and, and Fitz said after the game, it was, it was a shank that bounced the wrong way, but like, I think we were trying to kick it away from their, their, uh, returner. I mean, who's if, the, probably the best guy on the UMass team. So we we're kicking it high, trying to set up no return, and UMass just effed it up and just let, let the ball hit the ground. If that was, if it was golf, I'd be, just giving us kudos for the incredible ability to create backspin and let a ball lie down on the green, but footballs don't work that way. Um, yeah, if you could get a ball to land and bounce back towards you 
every single time you kicked it, people would be trying these drop shots a lot more. But yeah, I think that was just one that happened to land the exact right way we needed it to. You kick it to an up back who's not used to fielding it. It drops in front of them and careens off a random way. So I, that was it. I mean, that, that right. I mean, you guys didn't see anything differently there. No. And I, and it's, it's, it's funny. Like I, I, I almost think that Fitz is in a mental place right now that he would do something like that just to be able to tell the media, like, what, what do you think about that 40 point spread? We covered it, you know, like, um, but that is, that's even a bridge too far for, for Fitz, I think, outside of his, his core um, kind of belief structure as it comes to football. I think that was just truly a a, a, a random mistake and, and, and a weird happy bounce that went Northwestern's way. Um, I th- You know, the, one other thing that I – coming off that quarterback discussion that I think it's worth at least kind of highlighting and then maybe we give a little pirate booty before moving on, but um, we saw Andrew Marty and Jason Whitaker in this game. Oh, yep. Good goodness. Um, yeah, and, we we sure did. <laughs> and and I have to ask the question: like, who do you guys think is starting against Minnesota? Aiden Smith, Jason Whitaker, baby. We're going like we're <laughs> going like Oklahoma with the bell dozer, except it's <laughs> the Whitaker dozer. We're just the goal is going to be to get one to two yards and some luck every on every play. No, I I think it'll be Smith. But I think we're like a total mess. And Fitz, again, who was just on quite a roll in this press conference, basically alluded to the fact that the quarterbacks who didn't think they were going to be playing this season didn't necessarily put in enough prep. And then someone, I don't know if it's the inside you guys, inside and you guys or who, specifically asked a follow-up question because he had this, this flimsy, this flimsy attempt to not make this just an Aiden Smith comment. He makes it, you know, some quarterbacks, and someone immediately was like, so do you think TJ Green had enough off-season prep, and was he ready to go? And Fitz was like, yes, TJ Green was ready to go. So, again, I that was a really bad look, especially since it's just a really thinly veiled, you know, calling out. And Fitz has called out Hunter Johnson by name earlier this season as well. And I'm just like... There's a guy who's getting paid six figures who is just doing a god-awful job, and I haven't heard you call him out by name yet. So I think it's maybe time for that. Let's mix it up a little bit. Um, But one, with that said, I think it's going to be Smith. One thing I did want to mention on the other side of the ball, and I guess this is in giving out some pirate booty, although I I won't call this pirate booty per se, but I think there was a lot of hand-rigging early in this game, especially in the first half about UMass's ability to move the ball, particularly through the air. And I don't know what to tell you people. Like, our cornerbacks are very hurt right now. And it's been that way. We talked about it last week. And we're in a situation where, I mean, UMass's quarterback, the ball looked awful coming out of Randall West's hands in this game. Oh, boy. Yeah. And... Given that, you knew how Hankowitz was going to do this. Um, he was, I mean, I think, didn't Gastown actually drop one of the Hankowitz specials? I think yeah, he, he sure a, did. He sure he did. He had the shot for that for that interception. Um, it would, it it would was, have been six, too. I mean, that, they were deep in, uh, deep in our territory, or deep in right. their territory. Right. And I think, so given that, 
you just you knew the game plan was going to be huge cushions because our cornerbacks. The one thing you didn't want to have is these guys to get beat over the top, um, and it was just kind of like huge cushions. Let him go. Wait for this kid to start missing some receivers, and then just see how it goes. And again. It was one of those things where it ended up being gross. They got a couple drives deep into Northwestern territory. But at the end of the day, I mean, it was two field goals. And, you know, offensively, they never really were much of a threat. And I know, yeah, UMass sucks. So there was – I get the hand-wringing, but it's just tough. Like, our corners are really banged up. And this was at least a situation where you could roll them off and say, all right – Let's just keep everything in front of us. And we're going to be trying to do that against Minnesota. Um, and it's going to be very difficult, just like it was against Purdue, just like it was against Indiana. But again, I just, I don't, I don't want people to be freaking out too much about the pass and be like, oh my God, now UMass is passing on us. I mean, that's just the injuries. Um, I wouldn't read too deep into that from a defensive perspective. So let's uh, give out some pirate booty. I'm going to start, um, Joe Gaziano, uh, ha- had a, had a great game. Um, probably should have been given that half sack that he needed to become Northwestern's all time sack leader, but that's what I was thinking too. Like, how did he not get credited with a half? Yeah. I you know. Where's the, where's the hometown stat, man? Come on. Now. Seriously. I, I, I don't get that, but he's got two more games to do it. And, you know, you got to think that he will, but, um, you know, to block that field goal, uh, Chris Bergen then picked up to take back for our first points, you know, cause like, if, if UMass scores to go up six, nothing, they've scored twice. We haven't scored at all. Then I think like sphincters around Wildcat Nation are getting even tighter. Um, but you know, a, a nice little special teams play blocked field goal returned back for a touchdown that kind of got everyone relaxed. Like, okay, we got the lead now. Let's just go and, and, and play our game. Um, so that, that would be my pirate booty. For my pirate booty, you know, I'll go with the line. I think that they had a great game, and it was the kind of game we were expecting them to have. And again, I think that was the one thing we were able to be very confident of coming into this game because they've played well the past couple of weeks. They just the results haven't been there. There have been so many other problems, quarterbacks, play calling. We've talked about all of it. Um, but these guys have been opening some holes. And again, that may not necessarily mean much against Minnesota, but if you're looking for a shot for us to potentially, you know, get off the schneid for the Big Ten season, like against Illinois, against Illinois' defense, like it potentially could be a difference maker. I mean, we'd still need more things to happen, but um, the line showed up just like how we were expecting them to. So I give uh, Pirate Booty across the line to those guys. I'll give one more, um, and I... I promise i don't mean this ironically or disparagingly but uh riley lee's seven catches for 76 yards the only receiver to catch a ball but um he was uh i i I felt like he was one of the few players in the first half that was making hay and um you know yeah we've 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 heard for uh, several weeks now that lee's has been stepping up as a leader and i think that's you know he's he's showing that both on and off the field. And, you know, if, if we talked about it at the beginning of the season, right, if anyone was going to step into that Flynn Nagel t- type role, we thought it was, you know, probably him. Um, and we, you know, we're going to need that more than anything as we go down these last, you know, these last two games and, and, and go up against, 
two emergent um, solid teams and ones that I God, des- desperately, desperately want um, some sort of miracle magic to allow us to beat. All right, so let, let's let's talk about this Minnesota team coming in uh, nine and one. They lost at Iowa last week, um, you know, and I'd be interested to kind of talk about how Iowa was able to shut them down. But the the biggest issue I think for the Gophers coming in is the health of Tanner Morgan. I mean, he in concussion protocol. So without Tanner Morgan, what does the Minnesota Minnesota's offense look like? Yeah, so I I want to I want to start with the high level and and back into what you just said, Sam, about like how Iowa uh, kind of shut Minnesota down, and that's like we've all year been questioning Minnesota as a team that is really good at running, really good at run blocking, um, but has not been tested or pushed by anyone. What were they going to look like when they met Penn State? What were they look like when they met Iowa, us, and then you know Wisconsin in the season closer? Um, they have been able to run the ball and then run play action off of it nonstop. Their receivers are very talented. Um, Rashad Bateman has stepped up dramatically this year. Tyler Johnson has been, you know, decent, but th- those two guys are, are, are legit. And they're not the number one and two picks in the NFL draft no. legit, but no, not even close. Um, but M- Morgan's Morgan's completion percentage has been, quite spectacular and his accuracy etc like he has he has played far above where where i thought he could now this game against iowa was the first time that i think he's really truly been under pressure all year um you saw his completion percentage dip you saw him get sacked a whole bunch uh you you saw their offense kind of come off the rails at the end of the game you know minnesota having to play from behind is a lot different than minnesota playing from ahead but the interesting thing, because I watched quite a bit of the Minnesota-Penn State game and quite a bit of this Iowa game as well. Penn State, and this has been true of them all year against other opponents as well, and oh my God, pray for them against Ohio State this weekend, they struggle giving up the deep ball. And oh Minnesota boy. connected on two long passes that the receivers were able to make plays on and turn into touchdowns. Iowa refused to allow that to happen. They kept everything in front of them, and they forced Minnesota to operate in the red zone. Uh, they also shut down the run. Minnesota, so Rodney Smith carried the ball 14 times, averaged 3.3 yards per carry. Shannon Brooks, four carries for 5.8. Muhammad Ibrahim, three carries for three yards. Uh, th- they really shut down Minnesota's offense. And I think that, that that's what we've been waiting to see. What happens when a team shuts down Minnesota's run game you know, how does it look on the back end? And they certainly, they and they played exactly what Mick McCall is going to do, right? They said, you guys can have at it. Throw underneath all you want. We are not going to let you beat, beat us deep. You are not going to give you the big play. And then you are going to have to operate, you know, from the 30 on in, in much tighter quarters. And we'll see what you can do when you can't run the ball. And they struggled, right? They scored one touchdown uh, and they had, or well, I had two touchdowns and, and two field goals, right? Um. Yep. Yeah, and then and then missed another missed the goal, extra so. point, and and an extra point. Yep. So, like that seems like a pretty good strategy. Do we do do we have the defense to execute that same sort of deal? Absolutely, we do. Do we have the offense to score enough points to win this game? No. Probably not, unless something you know something clicks and and maybe we get a big play or um, a defensive touchdown or something like that. But, um, but yeah, Sam, the the the, the lack of Tanner Morgan would be a 
game changer as far as I'm concerned. Absolutely. I think the and to to be fair, I mean he's been awesome. And mm-hmm. Minnesota aside from Northwestern, I think Minnesota is probably the runaway leader for team we were most wrong about this season. And again, that had to do with multiple things. I mean, they Minnesota could have taken multiple losses to bad teams early on in the season, but they got through that and got better as the season went on. Um, Morgan is awesome. Their defense really rounded into form, got much better once they got to conference season. Really, their only bad defensive performance is against Purdue. And that game really was a Jeff Brom masterpiece in a loss where he lost his best quarterback and best player in that game and still put up 31 points. I mean, it was a masterclass, but since then, Minnesota is just dealing defensively. They are absolutely dominating. They've played uh, about... I don't know that I agree about the Iowa game. I don't think they were great in that game. No, I I, I thought Iowa looked better offensively than than they looked all season. But, I mean, Iowa's not a good offense. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, Iowa put up... They scored twenty three points, but, but I mean, but, like, but Iowa looked better than they had all season. Iowa's Iowa's numbers against Minnesota were a heck of a lot better than their numbers were against us. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're they're I mean, they're the thing is, our offense is exponentially worse than Iowa's yes. offense. Yes, it, yes, it is. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I would love our offense in the in Nebraska Rutgers category, and I mean, they gave up seven points. They they scored though they gave up only seven points to each of those teams. So. I think to me, if you're looking for some miracle scenario here, one, Morgan has to not play. Um, if Morgan plays, that's just it. I mean, they're wide receivers. It's just a massive mismatch. Our corners are banged up corners. We don't have depth at corner right now. The guys are just, they're beat up. I mean, yeah, you're hoping they continue to get more and more healthy, but he has just been surgical this season. Do I think we'll be able to stop uh, Minnesota's run game? Yeah, sure. Uh, they didn't have, they didn't do particularly well against Penn State and Iowa. We can, like, we should be able to do well. Our defensive line is not as good as Iowa's defensive line, but it is good. And our front seven will be able to neutralize them. I think my recipe for success would be we don't really have any proof that outside of Morgan that Minnesota has some offensive brain trust on the same level of like what Jeff Brom has at Purdue. I think my question would be, um, if Morgan can't go, who's their backup quarterback, Scuzz? Is it Anikstad? No, Anikstad's, I believe, out for the year. It's um, it's these two freshman dudes. Uh, so, here, let's see, real quick. Um, Cole Kramer or Jacob Clark? Uh, yes. two, two true freshmen. Seth Green is um, the guy that they bring in in like wildcat scenarios. Um, he's like a short yardage, like tight end body uh, type oh, dude. There, and... There's the Seth Green, the actor joke that was just waiting to be dropped there. <laughs> a short a Seth Green short yard. Okay, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. no, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> but uh, if Fleck indicated that in his in his radio program this week, <laughs> imagine a coach having a radio program where he talks about like decisions that are going to affect the upcoming game. <laughs> um, he said that they were going to be, be. Yeah, he said they were going to be leaving Green uh, in his current role and, and wouldn't be asking him to to be throwing passes. So. 
So, I mean, you know, the the chance would be that it's not Morgan and that whoever comes in can't hit the broadside of a barn and that the coaches, despite having quality-wide receivers, are not able to scheme these guys open because they've really been relying on Morgan. And again, that's easy for us to say now because we did not think much of Morgan at the start of this season, and he's been awesome. So maybe we're underrating the Minnesota Offensive Brain Trust a little bit. I don't know, but I'm saying... If it is truly Morgan who's making this all go and the you know and his backups can't do that at all, the receivers in theory won't matter and and if Minnesota can't run the ball, that would at least keep it low scoring. Then you're still trying to find points on the other side of the ball. Again, Minnesota smoked Nebraska, they smoked Rutgers and you know, we're kidding ourselves if we think our offense is in any better position than that. But this is well, a team I mean- Morgan has his moments, 57% completion against Maryland, 54% completion against Rutgers, uh, 53% completion against Illinois. Like, you know, he's, he's, he has, he's been really good this year. I particularly in his, in his decision-making, he's only thrown four interceptions. Um, and, and with the exception, you know, what, one of the big things that, that stands out when you look at games where they've struggled and lost it's sacks. So San Diego state, two sacks, Fresno state, four, uh, Georgia Southern five sacks, Purdue four Ooh. sacks, Iowa six sacks. In between Iowa and Purdue, he only got sacked twice in those five games. So, I mean, like if you can put him, that's that's been the problem all year. He's been under no pressure, and he it, and it hasn't mattered if he's been super accurate because he's been playing horrible teams in that in the interim. So, I, like, I, he, he, Dwayne Haskins, he is not. That's that remains true. Um, if you don't pressure him and if you don't force him to throw, you know, not not outside of like the play action construct where he's not relying on the run game to, to open up wide receivers, like you have some you have some opportunity here. Yeah, I mean, I think we're the third best defense after Penn State and Iowa that Minnesota's played this year. And I mean, they lost to Iowa. They really should have lost to Penn State. Um but, like, the problem is, though, as you said, Penn State is a good overall defense, but they're vulnerable in pass, and so are we. I mean, I think, again, the reality check would be to look at the Indiana game and say, look, I mean, I, this team does have a couple wide receivers who are capable of carving us up. And if there's a guy who can get them the ball, I think that is what's going to happen. But if it's not, um, if it's if Morgan's not going, and if it's suddenly a situation where you see them continually bringing out their wildcat quarterback and trying to figure out how much to play him, and you know, and versus the untested pocket passer, and trying to sort all that out, and they're not completing passes, I mean, that's how we drag them down into the muck. But again, I can only offer you an explanation for one half of the problem because the other half of the problem the offense there's just a solution has not presented itself yet so um, the, the the question i have for minnesota is do they run to set up the pass or are they passing to set up the the play action run ideally i think they want to run first but there've been games this season where they haven't been able to do it and morgan has really been able to pick teams apart now again some of that was against some bad defenses. And again, to Scuzz's point, this is a team that, let's not forget, for the first eight games of the season, they didn't play one good defense. Um, and then since then, they've been kind of in the muck with a couple of other teams. So um, with Penn State and Iowa. So they, I mean, I think they'd like to run. Ideally, they'd love to throw Rodney Smith out there and, and run you over. And you better believe they're going to try to do that if, if they feel like Morgan's not 100%. But, 
Um, I don't think they're going to have too much success doing that against us. I think we'll be in pretty good shape to stop that. And then it's a question of, okay, so are they able to exploit the mismatches that they're going to have at wide receiver or are they not? If they're not, yeah, I think we can get them into the 20s for sure, point-wise. But then so, again, you're trying to figure out how we're going to score you know, three touchdowns. So Morgan has attempted um, less less than 30 passes in all but two games. I mean, this is like 17 passes against Illinois, 13 passes against Nebraska, 21 passes against Maryland, 20 against Penn State. Like, they're not a pass. They like they're they're not a pass first team. Now they opened up against Iowa. They threw a lot because Iowa was you know daring them to and did a lot better at at breaking stuff up and shutting them down than um, other teams have, but. I think you know I the for me the most likely scenario for how this game goes down would be the twenty nothing Iowa game. That's the kind of scenario that I'm kind of envisioning here. If you're trying to talk yourself into a situation where we pull it a little bit closer than that, I guess I would you know I'd say drink some of that Kool Aid that Scuzz was you know bottling in the beginning of this episode and say all right so Evan Hall you know goes home. Give us a chance to game, and then the offensive line has its, which again has been trending upward, has its best performance of the season, and gives them some room to run. And we're able to move the the ball on the ground, actually, you know, establish a little bit of play action, and you know, whatever Aiden can do, Aiden can do, and somehow, you know, out of that we pull a couple of touchdowns, and it becomes a close game. I think that would be the formula for how we're in this one. I'd say it's much more likely. Um, to give credit where credit is due, Minnesota's figured out how to win ball games this year. This year, um, if Morgan's good to go, I don't think it's going to be that close. If he's not, I still think they've got enough pieces and and enough parts and and a clear identity of what they want to do on both sides of the ball that they'll still pull out the win. But I don't know. I think we can we can hope for something, something that would give us something for this season to to hang our hat on. So it, it's Wednesday night as we record this. Have we heard any updates? I mean, I, I heard that yesterday he was still in concussion protocol. Any updates today? As, as of this morning or this, whenever whenever Flex um, radio show was uh, earlier today, um, he was still in con- concussion protocol. So he so we're you know he's got two practices two practice opportunities left for the week. Yeah, and I guess that that kind of depends on what you know PJ's philosophy is. Of, if you're able, if you can't practice, can you play? The other thing to remember too is, regardless of the outcome of this game, Minnesota's bread is buttered based on the Wisconsin game. So they're they if Minnesota can win or lose this game, but they have to win Wisconsin to go into the Big Ten championship game. So no, no I mean, if they beat us, they're in. It doesn't matter. They win the West. Uh, is that true? No, if, no, no. If Wisconsin no. beats Purdue, no. If Wisconsin, no. If Wisconsin beats Purdue and then Wisconsin beats them, they'll both be two conference losses, and Wisconsin will have the tiebreaker. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah. Minnesota has to beat the Badgers, which means if there's any situation like they're not going to risk Tanner Morgan. Uh, next next week is the game that matters for them. That's for all the marbles. It's for a potential. It's their rival for a potential two game winning streak and. Everything winning the West depends on that game. So, and if there's and any there's, situation, there's also a, situ- a situation like the Wisconsin Purdue game is at uh, three o'clock. So they're not going to be able to scoreboard watch to see if like the pressure comes off. Correct, exactly. So they have to assume Wisconsin's going to win that game, and 
But I mean, again, they're if they can, if it's a situation where Morgan might be able to go, they're going to be looking ahead to that game for sure. So we do have that card to play also. But again, it's it's all up against the fact that the bottom line is Minnesota's played damn good football all season, um, and they've found ways to win all season, and and that's what we're going against. So. You never know. This offense that at least found some away on on the ground, maybe it can keep that going a little bit against a, a much better Gopher defense. Um, and yeah, if they decide to rest Tanner Morgan, maybe that's something, a little spark to to make this a game. The the craziest thing I saw was that the line opened up Minnesota by seven, and as we record this on Wednesday night, it's now up to thirteen and a half, which is much closer Ooh. to where it should be. I. You know, that that's... I assume that line opened because of the injury. I assume that it opened that way, just not knowing where he was at. I, yeah, it has to be right. I don't know. Lost in the lost in the very lopsided score we put on UMass is that we still didn't cover. <laughs> Granted, <laughs> uh, d- depend depends where you got your line, John. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, but. By four, if it was forty or forty and a half, you did not get there. But I don't know. This again, we as far as I'm concerned, we still have not solved offensive issues. We know, again, we're not going to relitigate all this. But there are so many ingrained problems in our scheme and the offense that we run, and this week is not going to solve those problems. But the line, you know, just may carry us to a couple of scores, and that. Combined with no Morgan, combined with Minnesota not executing, might keep this one close. And if we can get generate some turnovers, I mean that right, and a couple that turnovers we just have sure. not gotten all season long. And fresh freshman a freshman quarterback feeds Gaz that that pick six that he dropped against UMass, something like that. Um, you know, another blocked field goal, Chris Bergen. There's a little pirate booty. Uh, another blocked field goal taken back for a touchdown, that kind of thing. I, I um, think the perfect scenario is the Gaz strip sack, pick up the fumble, and touchdown. Right? So right. He, he breaks the record and scores on the same sure. play, right? Sounds good. Done and done. Let's have that. Uh, so let's briefly uh, run through the rest of the um, the rest of the Big Ten. Uh, you know, the, the biggest game, obviously, is the Penn State-Ohio State game. Um, Ohio State sitting at number two, Penn State at number eight, uh, after their loss to Minnesota. Uh, Ohio State an 18 point favorite in Columbus. Uh, weather's calling for some rain, so that could be interesting, but, uh, you know, Ohio State's a juggernaut and, you know, they, they win this game and then, you know, are they looking ahead to Michigan next week? Probably not. I mean, I, I can't see how they would, but what do you think? Yeah, again, if this was at Penn State, maybe. Penn State, whiteout, night game. It's not. It's a day game in the shoe. Um, and Penn State has real problems. They have real problems defending the pass. Um, and again, to your point, this is... I don't see a look ahead for Ohio State here. I think, you know, Penn State's going to give as best as they can. But <clears throat> we've seen enough of this to shake out at this point that... Penn State may be the second best team in the conference, but we really have no idea. I mean, at this point, it could be Michigan, but it could also be Wisconsin. It could even still be Minnesota. Um, And Ohio State is just lording over all of that buck. And I just think the Penn State team that we saw play against Minnesota, um, that team doesn't hold a candle to this team. So I think Buckeyes are going to roll. Bill Connolly... 
who publishes the S&P Plus rankings, has has ba- has basically got Ohio State in the rarefied air of uh, 1995 Nebraska and 2001 Miami. That's really? how good they are wow. statistically. Um, he went back and looked at when. Um, Basically, I think the threshold is an S and P plus rating of like ninety five or above. There's there's a couple of Alabama teams that got that got pretty close to that too, um, over the last five years. He went and looked at um, when there's a top ten matchup between one of these like elite elite S and P plus teams versus another top ten opponent, and there's only one example where the other opponent has won the game. And I and I believe that the that the the top team covers the majority of the time as well. Um, so, I, like I don't know that Ohio State's going to win by three touchdowns, but I, I guarantee MT they win this game. Uh, you've got Illinois at Iowa. You know Illinois, they're bowl eligible. They're you know they got their sixth win. Um, trying to just keep things going in the right direction for them. Iowa coming off their win against Minnesota. Uh, playing at home, Iowa, a 15 and a half point favorite. Illinois, the the bell tolls for thee. God, I hope so. Good Lord. This team's won four straight games. It's just gross. And thanks, for, thanks Michigan State, for deciding to blow that one. Um, yeah, the, again, the, it's The 28 like, to 3 lead, man. That. Yeah, ridiculous. <laughs> oh, oh, we're going to talk about another 28 to 3 lead in a couple minutes. I know. I know. I, I I was just I, I was teeing that up so we could you know hit it a little bit later. So yeah. So 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 Illinois has beaten a a a, a, a fumbleitis Wisconsin team on the road that just like looked like a you know shell of their usual selves. A just physically and mentally depleted Purdue team. Uh, a Rutgers team that is garbage, and then a. Joe Bocci-less Michigan State team, barely um, that they that they barely beat. I mean, I I was the best run defense of save Wisconsin of any of those, and and Illinois has really been doing this on the ground. I mean, Brandon Peters has looked better the last few weeks, but I mean, their their QB is fifty five percent completion. I, like it's it's not great. This is all about Reggie Corbin and Dre Brown. And like Iowa, much like they did to Minnesota, is going to shut that down. <laughs> the ridiculous, the ridiculous thing is, if Illinois wins this game, they have a really good shot to finish second in the West, which is just, just absolutely ludicrous. But it's true. Um, but again, I, I, with all that said, Iowa's a much better team. I <laughs> uh, also at eleven, you've got Michigan State at Rutgers. Uh, no line on this. Do, do we know why there's no line? Some sort of because injury, or it, they're encouraging no one to watch. Sure, That's why there's sure. no line. <laughs> there... there might be some questions about Lewerke. Um I don't know. I mean, it's we... just, it's just. I mean, that game's just gross. Michigan State, the wheels have just completely fallen off. And again, that is that team has their game against Northwestern, and then everything else this season. So I, is... I've. I've got a line on this, and it's Michigan State by twenty. Okay, that's that's what I'm seeing um, out there as a current a current line on this game. Do we think D'Antonio's seat is starting to get a little hot? No, I don't think so. It just feels like injuries. I don't know. Oh, I, I think it's hot. I definitely think it's hot. I don't. I don't know that it's hot enough for a 
for them to pull a trigger. But um, I I am confident that changes are going to get be going to be made on that staff, and and not the kind of changes where people just swap chairs like they did at the beginning of the season, shuffling um, the deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah, but a lot of people are talking about this, and it's so. I, I, there are some real parallels to Northwestern, but I think the I think the stronger parallel for D'Antonio is Les Miles, and um, someone that just was unwilling to do anything to to upgrade or modernize his offense, and um, you know ran, ran a real defensively stalwart program, developed players, all this sort of stuff. But I, like I I think the expectations in East Lansing are. Um, are for a much, much dramatically different outcome than what they're getting right now. 2.30 Central on ESPN, Michigan at Indiana. Michigan, the nine-and-a-half-point favorite. This is the real... I mean, this to me is... Assuming that Ohio State does pace Penn State, this is the game of the week for me. Um, Michigan has played awesome football the past couple of weeks, but really so is Indiana, particularly offensively. Um, and... Their one blemish, really, in the past five weeks is this seven-point loss to Penn State on the road. Um, it's I think this is a, a really good one. I mean, I think Michigan is certainly the favorite, but I think Indiana could very well be, you know, Indiana can definitely win this game. And if, if the Michigan team of earlier this year shows up, I think Indiana will win this game. The trick is... Uh... Michael Penix no longer there. That's certainly a little bit of drop off for Indiana, um, but I don't like. Yeah, this feels like a, this feels like a close game. I and mean, we, we, you know, I, I think I highlighted at the beginning of the year. Indiana's O line is really good, and I think they can hold their own in this game. And and I, like the the question to me is if they can stop Michigan's running attack. And they've been pretty. They've been okay this year on defense. It, I mean, again, if this team beats Michigan, they're going to win nine games with a chance to win 10 in a bowl like this is one of the greatest indiana teams of the modern era like so i mean just handing it to michigan doesn't make sense uh, also at 230 nebraska at maryland ew yep Arf. nebraska is a five-point favorite i just i have nothing more to say other than road, go, I, mm. go terps uh let's you know keep nebraska out of a bowl game yet another year and watch all the hand wringing begin in uh, in the cornfields. Oh, Scott hand, Frost! Hand, hand wringing? You mean to hand to to wring even more cash out of the corn to give him an even longer extension? Yep. He really <laughs> really earned that. Really earned that big extension. Four and six, two and five in conference. It's really really earning those. You're earning that money. Really building a foundation and based, based on recruiting. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you know the, the interesting thing. So Maryland has has made a change at QB. Uh, we think maybe uh, Josh Jackson and, and Tyrell Pigrome both played about you know half the game against against Ohio State. They both looked horrific. Um. You know. The, the whoever plays is going to get a dramatically different experience on defense against Nebraska and this Maryland team. I mean, this team can put up points against bad defenses. So I, I expect this to be a bit of a shootout, frankly. I mean, the over under 62 and a half. So yeah. Yeah. So I guess everybody else is expecting it to be a shootout too. That's not a, it's not a amazing epiphany or anything. And then you got uh three o'clock on Fox Purdue at Wisconsin, Wisconsin, a 25 point favorite. 
Yeah, sounds about right. Yep. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, you'll see Brom continue to try to engineer things, but uh, yeah, against a defense that a Wisconsin team that's just much more settled. And after all this, I mean, Wisconsin still, for you know their hiccups, has a chance to win the West, ten game regular season, um, and you know probably get rolled by Ohio State. But still, I mean. They're, uh, they have as much of a claim to second-best team in the conference right now as anybody. So, looking at the national scene, I mean, it's not a, a ton of big games. I mean, probably the biggest news, obviously, was um, the injury to Tua Tagovailoa uh, in Alabama's win last week. Um, they're sitting at number five in the playoff. Big, big game against Western Carolina yeah, guys. I you mean, think they can move up? I, not not with that game, but Ugh. I mean, feel bad for the guy. I mean, if that's that's awful. But um, you know, does this does the committee look at that and say, you know, maybe we, you know, would they be knocking on the door of you know when the SEC championship came comes LSU versus Georgia? Both those teams are in right now. Is Alabama the next one in, or are you starting to look at, you know, should should we put Oregon in? I I don't I don't think I don't think that's that's a factor. Honestly, I think the Ohio State performance in twenty fourteen um, kind of pokes pokes a hole in that balloon that trial balloon right sure. away. Honestly, and I like I don't I I don't think they look at it that way. Um, Alabama has won national championships with much crappier quarterbacks than than um, whoever they have backing up to a tongue of Iloa. So I like I I think it's I think I don't think anybody's even talking about that yet. And when we get there, we'll get there. I I think a far bigger problem for Alabama is the fact that they haven't played anybody. Sure. And the and the one team they played, they lost to. So. Um, any other national storylines that we should talk about? Yeah, I got one. Yeah, I figured you did. So, um, I talked on this podcast last week. In fact, I, uh, I I may have dropped some vulgarity that I think Sam you cleaned up in post, but um, no, I don't think I did. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, sorry, y'all, or I hope you enjoyed it. Um, Baylor got exactly what they deserved. I feel bad for those players. I feel bad for Matt Rule. They played a heck of a game for three quarters, but. Um, Man, those 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 fans that protested the firing of Art Briles several years ago got exactly what they deserved, and the, and 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 for a reward, they get to host Texas this, this week, who can absolutely do the exact same thing to them. This is probably going to be another shootout. Baylor's favored, um, but Sam Ellinger has a way of pulling touchdowns out of his butt at the gun. So, um, who uh, buck buckle up, y'all. And how about Oklahoma? I mean, they you know, played. I mean, they came back again. Jalen Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts is amazing. Yeah. What? What? For, for those that... who didn't watch, like he did that without his star receiver. Like he 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 quite literally put the team on his back. He was carrying the ball every what other play, and then you know throwing darts. Uh, he did he did everything. It was. It was unreal watching him operate in that game. You know, there's not a ton of other juicy matchups this weekend when you've got 
Um, so game days at Ohio State, obviously. But what's interesting is you've got Fox's uh, pregame show at Ohio State as well. Can we get maybe an Anchorman style throwdown? Um, <laughs> I don't know. The, stu- the stupid Ohio State fans are talking about boycotting ESPN because of they have because they have SEC bias. What? What? That okay? Whatever. That's fine. That's ridiculous. But you know the fact that um, Herb Street and uh, Fowler are going to call the Oregon Arizona State game. Um, that's that's the Saturday night game on ABC. Not really the most uh, interesting matchup there, I would say. I mean, Oregon, they're looking good. They're playing good football. I don't know. You make, if you make me bet, I think there's just as many playoff teams in that game as there are in the, the Fox game. I think right now, I think if you make me <laughs> guess, I think, I think Oregon is getting in fourth. If they win out, I think Oregon is your number four team, but they've got to win out to do it. Yeah, so they got to beat Arizona State. They would. They got Oregon State next week in the rivalry game, and then would have to beat Utah, I guess. Right? Utah's winning yeah. the South. I think this is the perfect kind of scenario for the committee to bow to the just total lack of Pac-12 teams. Um, you'd have an Oregon team that would have just as good of a case as an Oklahoma team, and I think the Oregon team would win out, and I think would Oregon would get in over Alabama and Oklahoma. Um, but especially if Utah keeps winning, if you have a one loss Utah and a one loss Oregon facing off in the Pac-12 championship game, I think the winner of that game gets in. And I think if you make me pick right now, I think that that's going to be Utah. So yeah, there's, there's, it's less of a meaty matchup, but I think there's as many long-term, uh, as much long-term significance. Well, guys, so we've been at this for a little more than an hour now, (laughs) um, been trying, to, been trying waiting, to delay this as, as much as possible. If you've been sitting here waiting for us to pivot to hoops, what is wrong with you? Good God. Yeah, uh, so I I mean, this men's basketball what, what, team. I, what, I don't know what you're talking about, John. The women kicked the crap out of Duke. Fan, yeah, hey, how about absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yes. Great no, second absolutely. half on, on the road at Cameron Indoor. You know, the women are playing awesome. Um, the <laughs> they, men. They look fantastic. Hey, by, by the way, I want to I want to do a quick I want to make a quick oh, quick yeah, shout absolutely, out. Absolutely. Um, so, friend of the pod, um, friends of the pod, uh, I should say, Cat and and Emily Harriet are organizing a bit of a um, a, a game watch event for um, a women's women's basketball game. Not even a game January. watch; it's go to the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, like an event Amiga. at the game. So um, they've basically reached out to a whole ton of. Uh, Northwestern faithful that are active on social media on Twitter, including us, and um, are trying to to, to gather a um, a sizable crew to go and attend the women's game on January thirtieth. Uh, I think I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna be able to make the trip up, um, couple it with some some work stuff I got to do in Chicago, uh, which should be kind of nice. But hey, if you're thinking about a, a good time to come out to a women's game, circle January thirtieth on your calendar and think about it because um, we're gonna tr- we're gonna try to make an event of it. And that's gonna be pretty cool. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that, that'll be, that'll be great. And, uh, hopefully I'll be able to make it up as well. Uh, yeah, that I still haven't seen the inside of the new stadium yet. And, uh, that is where I would want to spend my entertainment dollars, uh, for the women's team. Um, j- j- just so y'all know, they're playing, they're hosting Michigan that night. Duly noted. So again, we're, we're delaying the inevitable. Um, you know, Northwestern men's basketball go out and, Beat Providence before turning around and losing to uh, 
no. Radford, yeah. yeah. Radford, uh, I think I saw Ella Brockway tweet this earlier today. So Providence is like number 25 in the RPI, and Merrimack and Radford are down in like the mid to low 200s. Yep. Um, or mid to high 200s, I think I should say. And Northwestern is what, right around like 100? So um, these, these results make zero sense. I mean, I don't. First of all, it's. Take a nice, sweet look at that 100 in the RPI ranking for Northwestern, because it ain't going to get any higher than that. Enjoy, enjoy 100 while it lasts. Um, it, it's funny. I, in my mind, and again, I, 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 this is not to to besmirch everything Scuzz said earlier, um, but I was thinking in my head, I was like. Beating a Providence team that misses 15 point blank layups in a game is sort of like the Evan Hall getting 220 against UMass of basketball wins. Uh, I'm just, it was a crazy aberration. And I, there, I mean, if you watched that game, I've never seen a team shoot like that ever. Uh, it wasn't just that, that Providence was breaking shots, it was that they were breaking layups. And you could actually add up the amount of layups that they missed. And that pretty much brought the game to level. And the one brief second, what was it, like a four-minute period where they started to shoot well, they immediately ripped off a 14-2 to two run. And, I mean, that game was just ridiculous. And then, you know, the Radford, the real aberration is Radford's first two games of the season. This team, I think, was 22 or 23 and 11 last season, returned their best player, and were the preseason Big South uh, conference favorite. And then they just were awful in their first two games. Um, so I, to me, my based on my prediction at the start of the year, I figured we were going to beat Merrimack, lose to Providence, and lose to Radford to start the season. And it ended up being slightly different than that, but I, I mean... The the big takeaway is that this is a team that just has Northwestern with just monstrous problems that, again, it's the competition is only going to get much, much harder from here. And the, the same problems you're seeing, I think, are only going to become more magnified. Yeah, I so my, my what I can't get my head around is, um, I mean, I know that the the shooting woes that, that Providence had were, were a big deal, but. On the end of the other end of the floor, Ryan Young played an incredible game, like a Derek Pardon breaking out at Nebraska kind of game. Um, he he was spectacular, and in 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 particular, um, like he doesn't come off as as, a, as an incredibly athletic player, but he he can move and he's fluid, and like like you know you contrast him with a guy like Ola who always you know, had a nice shot and had good footwork, but was never, never a fluid player. And Young just kind of exuded that. He looked, he looked spectacular on offense. He had three shot attempts against Radford. And it's not because he was in, he had one personal foul. It was not because he was in foul trouble. Um, it's like we just couldn't get him the ball and, or, or, or completely lost sight of, of the plan offensively. And that, that is astounding and stunning to me because like, I get the guy is a true freshman, so it's not going to work every night. But can we can we at least try? Can we get him six or seven touches early in a game and see what happens? Um, I thought that was crazy. I you know during the the Providence game, I was tweeting and, and 
like everybody was kind of on board with this. Like, wow, he he looks solid. Everybody talked about how he'd gone against against Pardon in practice all year last year and gotten his butt kicked because Pardon was a notorious like really intense practice guy, and like it's just it's 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 crazy to me that that wild swing and i think that's what we're in store for with the men's team this year is just wild swings from game to game that are that are hard to fathom and understand and i'll be honest i think it's an indictment of the coaching staff i I don't think they're doing a good job game planning or adjusting um on that side of the ball that they're they're allowing i mean it's one thing for the team to come in and kind of be listless and, and and low energy like they were against merrimack it's another thing for the game plan and like the strategy to also mirror that i like that's that's a real concern for me so i like i who knows what to expect for this season it's it's rough it's it's gonna be really rough and i think there are a couple of different problems and i think you know credit to pete nance who seems to be our biggest statistical contributor almost by fault right uh by default right now but Man, still when you look at Nance, every time he touches the ball, you see what he could be. He's so long and so lanky and athletic, yet he can shoot. Um, And then at the same time, you know, you just see the limitations too and just that killer instinct that's not there. And I think, you know, to your point about Young, Scuzz, one of the things that jumped out to us so much about Young is he gets after it. He's got that energy level. Um and he's he's a fighter he gets pumped up and you know i think that's it's kind of you juxtapose that with kind of what you see with nance and and it's just we're kind of lacking but still with all that said i mean the biggest problem here is that this team still does not have guards and it is just staggering how little we have at that position and all you have to really look is that um for all the talk about Boo Booey coming in, I mean, Pat Spencer played 30 minutes uh, against Radford, and Bowie played 11. And when you watch Spencer, it's so funny. He's probably our best overall athlete. The guy's a phenomenal athlete when you look at him. I mean, you see why he is such an amazing lacrosse player. In addition to his skill, he's really fast. And he's you can kind of see that there are so many teams that are just going to body us with man and put their best athlete on our ball dominant guard and just try to shut us down that way. We're going to get full court pressed a ton, especially once we get into conference season. And he's one of the only guys that can really break that. He's not the greatest ball handler, but he's confident and he's really fast, but really that's it. Um, And this is you you factor in the fact that he's here for one year then he's going to be gone um it's a mess i mean this team has all the same issues at the perimeter that it had last season and again it's you look at the way other teams in the big 10 are just pile driving their non-con opponents their cupcakes and it's it's going to be really really rough we get Norfolk State next game, and, and they're supposed to be really bad, but they have a 12-point loss to Bradley, a 12-point loss to, I think, Ole Miss. Um, and again, it's like not, nothing is a given. I Hopefully we can pull that out, but, and but then man, after, it's going to be rough. Then after Norfolk State, we have the aforementioned Bradley before uh, playing Boston College, and then the early Big Ten schedule kicks off uh, at Purdue. Uh, home for SIU Edwardsville, and then Michigan State comes a calling before uh, traveling 
downtown to play at DePaul. That that's the next chunk of games for the cat for the men. I again I there there's something that I'm not even gonna say because I don't want to say it out loud, but what last season we won the Big Ten West in football and three years ago we won an NCAA tournament game. And three years removed from or what, two years and change removed from the tournament and one, you know, not even a full year removed from that, there is an outside chance that something might happen this season across football and basketball that I don't know has ever happened. It hasn't happened at Northwestern. I don't know that it's ever happened anywhere. And again, I there's a long way to go and, you know, a lot of white knuckling between then and now, but it just the idea that, that we're in that place. Um, I'm, I'm going you know, to say it because it's, it's, it's not clear what you're going after, and that's the idea that we go winless in conference games across football and men's basketball. It's, I mean, and if... It's if, in play. And it's in play. It really is. And Scuzz and I, you know, our, what, sophomore year, which, which Sammy, your senior year, our yep. sophomore year, we came as close as you can come. One, one in football, one zero in basketball. Um, and Northwestern hasn't come remotely close to that ever, any other time. And, you know, for every saying, yeah, but what all those football years, all those football years in like the late 70s, 80s, et cetera, we were still winning five or six conference basketball games a year. Um, and, and everyone who says, oh, yeah, but you're putting the cart way before the horse here, just understand the team that I feel like we're just now coming around on the futility of is the football team who we had big expectations for. We've been circling the fact that this was going to be a disastrous basketball season since, you know, when? Since everyone midway transferred th- away? Mid- midway through last season? I don't even know. Um, it's it's going to be really, really rough. And, and, you know, I think, again, game by game, we're going to be white-knuckling, hoping that we don't, that we're not saddled with this ignominious distinction, which, again, the football team could rectify that right away with a, a massive upset against Minnesota or a win over Illinois. But, and, man. And, and yet, the, this team did beat Providence. Yeah, you know, team is probably going to the tournament. So it's like, they can do it. <sighs> I Again, I just keep coming back to the missed layups. We turned the ball over 20 times against Providence um, and somehow won. And I, I mean, again, it's like, yeah, it can. We've seen that it is physically possible for wins to happen. I guess, yeah, to your point, we just need that to happen once in conference. But uh, expectations of north of that, I would say, are unreasonable. Hey, you know who is going to win a lot of uh, conference games this year? The women. The ladies. The women's yes. basketball team. Um, I, I think it's. I think it's worth talking about about this team a little bit Absolutely. because they are just awesome. Um, back-to-back road wins against not like high-end opponents but decent opponents Marquette was three and0 I think Duke was two and two or 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 two and one when we played them but I mean they um, went into Cameron indoor and flattened Duke <laughs> yeah like they won they won by almost 20 um and like well no they, they they did win by they won by 21 um I, I was I was thinking it was 60 62 43 but 63 42 yeah yeah 63 42 so a couple things that, that have just jumped out to me like so a I, like no surprise Lindsay Pulliam continues to be just a dynamic scorer for Northwestern she's been the leading scorer both these games what was really impressive to me is is she just took over uh once that game against Marquette went to overtime she just took over I think she scored Northwestern's first eight points eight of 11 in overtime something like that 
Um, she's just spectacular. She, I was watching on the, like the Marquette, um, student closed circuit television feed that was broadcast. I think that was the only way to watch the game, but, um, she grabbed a rebound and went coast to coast and just like cut in in front of the, uh, of, of the, the defending player for a layup. Um, I, just a sweet move, uh, to, to put Northwestern up to seven and, and basically put the, the nail in the coffin. Like she just, she's so good. Uh, she knows when to put the pedal down. She's, you know, she's been the leading scorer, you know, obviously the, 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 the big question was losing palace Akpana, um, this, this year, you know, she was so dynamic last year on the boards. We're seeing Abby Wolf um, continue to play to play strongly. Uh, kind of coming into that starting that's that starting. I guess is she the center, and then yeah, Shide I, is the. I, I think that's I think that's yeah. right. Yeah, because Shide's like a like a three point shooting four, right? And right. Then, and then Wolf is the center. The other one that's interesting, Sydney Wood, who's um, like our defensive specialist in the backcourt, and then. Uh, has has played has played a lot. She played 35 minutes against uh, against Duke. More, eight, more eight rebounds than, a game for for what? Exactly, exactly. Wood Wood is like basically second on the team in rebounding, which is incredible. Um, um, she's first on the team in rebounding. Oh, is she number one. Okay, in, wow. So, in, so in average, because Wolf is getting 7.7 and uh, Wood's getting eight. Yeah, yeah. So I like that's. A, that's incredible from a backcourt player, but it, like she is, um, she is long and she's very, very athletic, uh, a phenomenal defender. That's been that was kind of her uh, her calling card last year. So that's that's really exciting that um, uh, that we're seeing that you know the additional production from her. Courtney Shaw is another person who's getting a bit more run um, in 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 that front court. Um, has you know looked looked decent uh, against Duke in particular. So this team just. I'm I'm so excited to see where they can go. This is this is <clears throat> probably the best team we've had since what, like '96. Yeah, Maybe. and I think yeah. this. I mean, and, and the schedule, you know, I think they've got a tough one against DePaul, which is going to be a big game at home on December first. Um, but aside from that, I mean, you've got they've got a Boston College team that has. I think they're on a losing streak right now, and then a lot of other teams that are potential for like just statement wins. I mean, it's possible that this team could run the table in the non-con. I'm again, again, not to put the cart before the horse, but they're playing very good basketball right now. And I think if they get by DePaul, they're going to have a really good shot at it. Um, December 16th at 11 a.m., UT Arlington, that's field trip day. John, a couple years ago, we took our kids to field trip day. I don't know. Might have to pull. Might have to pull my daughter out of preschool for that one. It's pretty awesome. So we we will see. We'll put a pin in that. But uh, for sure, yeah, yeah. December sixteenth. Kind of circle that one. I would pull my daughter out of preschool to go see Lindsey Pulliam play. Hell yeah, <laughs> amen. Um, anything else we need to cover tonight, or uh, can we wrap this up before my voice goes completely out? <laughs> No, I think that I think I think we've uh, I think we've hit all the hit all the corners. Sounds good, and you know, I have no voice tonight. And imagine you know after this this Saturday out sitting out in the cold all game, uh, you guys might have to just take the entire reins. I'm not going to be able to say anything next week, but we'll we'll see how that goes. Uh, in that vein, I will. In that vein, I will add. You know, as always, find us uh, find us this Saturday morning 
South Golf Lot. We'll be there. Yeah, and it, it is it is the last game of the year. I mean, it's the last home game of the year um, for all of you intrepid souls who uh, want to go down to Champagne the day after Thanksgiving. My hat's off to you. I will be sitting on my couch with the in-laws and in the house eating, stuffing my face with leftover turkey and watching Northwestern Illinois. Um, but until then, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Uh, head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, find us on Instagram, at westlawpirates. You can email the show, westlawpirates, at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. And look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Scasbach, Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.